we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Throws across his body, and he got it! Looking away, McKenna out third, throw from the outfield is up the line, inside the park home run! Deep gone! And he makes a catch up against the wall. And he's going to watch it fly. Strike three called. He got him on strikes. Welcome to the Voice of the Turtle, a podcast feature of the Bless You Boys website. We are SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. You can find us online at blessyouboys.com, on Twitter at Bless You Boys, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash byb.tigers. I'm your host, Hook Slide, along with my co-host, Rob Rojacki. Rob, spring training has officially started. Are you finally happy? I mean, I'm happy, but now what? Now we need to get to baseball, because spring training was exciting for about 15 minutes it was but now there's just more waiting yeah that's this is what baseball is essentially all about you you wait and the games start in april and then you wait to see how things are going to turn out by the all-star break and then you wait to see how it's going to go down the stretch and then then it's over it's like the dmv but shorter wow that's harsh a little bit it's a little more enjoyable than the than the dmv i think true maybe i don't know depends on which game you're watching i guess goodness we have got a lot to get to for this episode so let's get after it the tigers are still making acquisitions visa issues are the biggest problem in spring training right now the bullpen got an extra boost the indians royals and white Sox have all made moves we're going to take about seventeen thousand listener questions because our audience has gone stir crazy and steve mickelson sportsbook director at atlantis casino is going to talk to us about how a professional odds maker ranks the tigers in 2016 But before all that, we've got to round the bases and talk about what's still holding Shane Green back. We'll get to that next. 610-pound righty delivers as a fly ball left field. This one's deep. This one's got a chance. And this ball is gone to Hogan. Ian Kinsler delivers the walk-off. Number six for Ian. He rounds third. Heads into the mob scene at home. And the Tigers take the series from AC. A walk-off home run from Kinsler, 8-6. All right, let's kick this show off with a rounding the bases segment. Rob, spring training is actually finally here officially. It's not just pitchers and catchers that have reported. The whole team is there. We're starting to see 
videos of you know not just uh, pitchers taking their tosses off the mound, but we're seeing batters in the batting cages and all that good stuff. It's just it's a, an exciting time to be uh, alive, I guess. It really is, and as much as I joke in the last little snippet, um, it's just good to be back. And I think one of the nice things that I've seen so far is that everyone's happy. Everyone's healthy. This seems like the most upbeat that the team has been, and I don't even know how long it's spring training. It seems like the last few years has been something going on. And this year, like, what's the worst thing happening right now? Well, we'll we'll get to what the worst thing happening is, but yeah, for for right now, it's you know as we all swarm around our computers and you know refresh Twitter and look at the various websites for any news coming out of Lakeland right now. Uh, story number one has to be just the general health of the team. That's what everyone seems to be concerned about. And for right now, I, I'm seeing good things, you know, coming from the beat writers and Miguel Cabrera saying that he's feeling good. He's feeling better than he has in a couple of years. Victor Martinez seems like he's doing all right. I mean, I think it's all good signs because think about what, what was going on this time last year. You had Miggy coming off of that ankle foot surgery. You had V-Mart coming off the, the knee surgery. Justin Verlander was questionable. I mean, it, we're in a much better place right now. We are, and I think Victor Martinez's quote today was the most telling. He said, the best quote of camp so far, I can swing now. It's kind of a uh, <laughs> kind of a little bit of a red flag from what he had going through last year. As a baseball player, it's good that you can swing, especially as a designated hitter. That would be probably job number one. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> hopefully we get a little bit better season from him. He says that everything's behind him now, so we'll see how it goes. Outside of the the general health problems, what's been your your favorite? Uh, we'll call it spring training narrative so far. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite, but I like the optimism around Stephen Moya. Uh, this is a guy that last year everyone thought the world of, and then he went out in AAA and really kind of struggled. Um, it seemed like he was just kind of lost the plate at times, based on what I've read from you know various scouts and whatnot. Um, but this year he comes into camp, you know, he played a lot in winter ball in the, I believe in the Dominican Republic, uh, and hit pretty well there. He says that he saw a lot of left-handed pitching, which was one of the, kind of his weaknesses throughout his career. Um, and he's also walking a little bit more, at least down in winter ball. Now translating that to AAA and potentially in the major leagues is a little bit, a little bit tough, a little bit different. Um, but to get him some success and hopefully get his confidence back up, back up should, we can hope, at least lead to a, a big season down in AAA. Do you see any hope for him in the future? Because I know I've I've had a very bleak outlook on Stephen Moya in particular. He was kind of a fan favorite for a couple of years, but then he posted just some awful strikeout rates and showed that he was basically kind of an all-or-nothing you know, binary. It's either a home run or it's a strikeout, and uh, some people just aren't very hopeful in terms of him getting any better at plate discipline and pitch recognition and that kind of thing. I don't know if I'm necessarily hopeful that he's going to turn into kind of the, you know, the star even that he could be, but it's just kind of nice to see that he's at least coming into camp a little bit more optimistic about the season. Um, and we'll see what happens. You know, this is the, this is his last option year, uh, in 2016. So the Tigers kind of have to make a decision on him, you know, heading into next season. And I don't necessarily know if he's ever going to displace either J.D. Martinez or Justin Upton. That's, you know, a big long shot. But if he can have a good year and turn himself into a nice little trade piece, that could be something good for the Tigers. I think that's kind of ultimately his uh, his future, isn't it? I mean, it seems like he's fairly well blocked on either of the corner outfield positions. You would think that, uh, like you said, when he's run out of options, 
it would be foolish, I think, for them to, to let him go to the waiver wire where he would almost certainly be picked up. I think you have to turn him into trade bait at some point. Yeah, he has to be trade bait. Um, if he gets to the waiver wire at any point, I think there will be about 29 other teams in line to grab him and hoping that they can fix him because this is a guy that, you know, he has so much power and is, you know, decent in other aspects. I think, he, you know, a lot of scouts have said he'd be a league average right fielder. He's got a good arm. Uh, and so if he can even improve his plate discipline a little bit, improve his hit tool just a little bit, if he can hit 240, 250 with, you know, a 300 on base percentage at the MOB level, he has enough power that he's going to hit you, you know, 20, 25 home runs in full-time duty. And that's, a, you know, a, an above average right fielder. That's a great player. Yeah. And I would say, again, I think his ultimate, although I don't know, as I'm thinking through this, you know, I know they've run out of options on him, but if they could keep him around even a little while longer, we just talked last week about the fact that Justin Upton is on a two-year contract, essentially, that he can opt out of. And J.D. Martinez got that, uh, you know, contract extension that's only for two years. You know, you never know that they might be kind of looking at Stephen Moya as maybe this is someone we can help, you know, get him to that place where he can be contributing at the major league level and he can slot into one of those corner outfield positions. Or maybe not. Maybe they're strictly looking at him as you know, rooting for him to do a lot better in AAA simply that so that he becomes more attractive as as a trade candidate. Well, we'll see what happens on the trade market with him if he does kind of break out. Uh, but one thing that the Tigers could do is that they could kind of slot him into a bench role next year. I know that they have Cameron Mabin and Anthony Ghost also in the fold, uh, but Mabin has a team option for next season. So if he doesn't necessarily perform well, that's one outfield spot you have open. Um you know, you could also use Moya in more of a pinch hitting role too, so that, you know, kind of limits the number of utility infielders that you can have on your bench, which the Tigers seem to love, and it would kind of limit some of their substitutions that they're able to make. But if that means keeping a guy like Moya, who had, you know, pretty excellent season in this hypothetical scenario in 2016, um, if they can keep him in the organization through 2017, potentially use him as a, as a future starter, then I think you kind of need to bite the bullet for, for a year maybe in 2017 he can have Mike Avilas's spot. I mean, that'd be nice. Uh, he could have it in 2016 for all I care. There you go. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what's holding Shane Green back. And I just read a, a piece today. I want to say it was from MLive uh, that uh, interviewed Shane Green, and he kind of explained a little bit more uh, in depth you know, what he was struggling with in, in 2015. And it turns out it wasn't so much numbness in the fingers as it was he described his fingers being cold and there being a lot of pain in the fingers when he would pitch the ball. He said he described it as having frozen toes and then somebody stomps on your foot, which doesn't sound like any fun at all. And it still gets to the point of, you know, Hey, look, if you can't grip the baseball, whether that's because your fingers are numb or because it hurts to throw the ball, you know, to release it uh, either way, you're not going to have success with some of those secondary pitches that rely on having a good feel for the ball, a good grip on the ball. I was a little bit discouraged to hear him say that the blood clots are not fully gone. And I was going to ask you this this question, Rob. If the blood clots aren't gone, what was the point of the surgery? I thought the whole point was that they were removing the blood clots. So what exactly did they put him under the knife for? Well, I'm not necessarily sure in this case what the surgery was for. Uh, it sounds like it was to clear up that issue, um, but it may not be something that directly got to those blood clots. Um, as far as, you know, kind of what I'm reading here, it seems like they 
uh, get rid of the pseudo aneurysm, which I guess I'm not even really sure what it is at this point. Um, and that helps to clear up the blood clots and they eventually just dissolve on their own. Um, you know, I'm still kind of, a, this is kind of a little bit out of my depth as a physical therapist. So I'm going to trust the, the doctors and the surgeons that are recommending the surgery and having him go through this. Um, but as far as, you know, gripping the baseball, first of all, doesn't it sound a lot like some of the, uh, stories we heard with Jose Valverde back <laughs> a couple years ago when he couldn't throw his splitter? Uh, same words, maybe different meaning. Cause yeah, he used to I, complain that it was cold and he couldn't grip the baseball the right way. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but as far as green goes, I think that it's, um, you know, it really kind of is the same type of thing, you know, numbness, coldness and a little bit of pain in that area. That's all kind of the same sensation, I guess I would say. It's all kind of the same mechanism um, as far as, you know, having a little bit of, uh, you know, numbness there and getting the nerves in that area kind of, I guess, pinched off, if you will, by the, you know, whether it's blood clots or lack of blood supply. Um, so it really kind of is the same thing, and I think he's just kind of describing it in his own in his own way. Um I don't necessarily know if this changed exactly what had happened there, and I definitely wouldn't, you know, call a surgery a bust or anything, but anything like that. Yeah, and I'm not necessarily calling it a bust. I'm just kind of wondering then if they if they didn't operate to remove the blood clot, then I'm not entirely sure what they did. Uh, he described, you know, the surgery them going in through the armpit to do something, and I thought it was to take the clots out, but apparently that's not the case. So who knows? I just I I've never heard of. Uh, you know, sort of free floating blood blood clots in the system being a good thing, but I'm not a doctor, so this this whole thing just kind of reveals how little I know about anything related to the human body and these you know mysteries of the the arm. Uh, I'm just kind of hoping though that as he's saying the clots aren't fully gone yet and he doesn't know exactly when they'll dissolve or whatever, uh, hoping that this does not set him back at all. And it sounds like by all accounts he says he's feeling good and he's throwing and not experiencing those those same issues. So maybe he's still able to come back in 2016 and be a, a real contributor as either a sixth starter or a you know, bullpen guy, or maybe he, maybe he gets that fifth spot in the rotation. We'll see if he makes that fifth spot in the rotation, but I think that, you know, the fact that he's been throwing for so long, uh, I think that he had started throwing in kind of the early part of November, um, you know, really kind of tells you that I think that the whole, you know, blood clot situation is kind of past him he hasn't really had any setbacks that we've heard of so we're hoping that everything's uh, you know full go as far as that goes but i'm kind of encouraged by some of the quotes we heard from the from the coaching staff just saying you know don't sleep on shane green we'll see what he does uh you know the tigers have been looking at him all off season as a potential bullpen candidate so they may or may not be looking to limit his innings at all but i i don't necessarily know that we're we need to be too worried about him from you know a health standpoint you know, is if he's going to still be the same guy that we got from the Yankees, that's another question entirely. But I don't know if it ultimate has ultimately has anything to do with with his fingers and the blood clots. Well, I think we want the guy that we got from the Yankees, at least in the sense of somebody who can uh, induce a few swings and misses. And I went on to pitch FX or uh, uh, Brooks baseball, rather looking at their pitch FX data just the other day and was kind of doing some comparisons with his 2014 and 2015 numbers seeing if I could spot, you know, something, anything to kind of make sense out of this this uh, statistical riddle. And uh, I found nothing, really, of any substance, except that uh, it seems like he did he did add, according to PitchFX, he added a curveball to his repertoire in 2015 that wasn't there in 2014. 
Um, and he seemed to be throwing, I think it was the slider. He was throwing that pitch a lot less in 2015. But all across the board, the best pitch that he's got in both seasons was the cutter. And in 2015, you know, he was he was getting uh, not as good results in 2015 as he was in 2014 with that pitch. So you can kind of look at that and say, I don't know, the, the whole mess to me says, here's a guy who is maybe still defining and refining his pitch selection. He's still kind of experimenting with some stuff. Mix that in with the fact that he was, you know, pitching injured last year. And it's it's kind of still a big question mark to me, you know, whether that 2014 season was kind of a fluke or whether that's the standard in 2015 was the fluke because of the, you know, the, the pseudo aneurysm. If he can get back to anything close to the way he was inducing swings and misses in 2014, though, you've got a good pitcher on your hand because he has a really high ground ball rate as well. Yeah, um, I'm really hoping that he's able to kind of come back and show some of that form, even that he showed in 2015 when he wasn't necessarily generating as many swings and misses in those first few starts. Um, you know, the cutter is going to be a great pitch for him as far as inducing ground balls, um, but as well as getting some swings and misses. I don't know if it was necessarily his slider or his cutter that were doing a lot of that in 2014, but and they're all they're always kind of one and the same um, in that, you know, a cutter is just a slider that doesn't break as much and is thrown a little bit harder and vice versa so we'll see kind of what comes out of this uh in in 2015 i mean in 2016 uh but i'm really i'm really encouraged by what we've heard from him so far yeah i am definitely not ready to give up on shane green i know some people are kind of down on him right now and saying he was never really all that great to begin with but i i still see a lot of untapped potential there that i'm hoping comes to you know full flourishing in in 2016 or 2017 the last little bit of spring training news is just goofy. K-Rod, uh, Francisco Rodriguez, is having visa issues. I uh, I guess I wasn't aware that that ever happened, let alone on a frequent basis. I've heard it, like, occasionally with players, but and I couldn't find where I, where I had read this, but it sounds like this is something that happens with K-Rod, like, quite a bit. Um, and I don't know if it's necessarily anything to worry about. He's never had any any trouble in years past is, you know, is getting into spring training on time to be ready for opening day. Um, you know, maybe he's just lazy about applying for it and he doesn't do it till the last minute. Great. And so <laughs> I, I don't know, but you know, he's never missed opening day as far as anything, you know, anything to do with that. So I'm not necessarily worried about him. Well, I mean, I have a hard enough time just going through a baseball player's statistics and remembering how he performed from year to year. There's no way I can go out and do the research and, you know, <laughs> kind of look around and figure out what's going on with players and their visa issues and what the patterns are or anything like that. The only cause for concern I would see, aside from the worst case scenario of, yeah, he misses opening day, is just the fact that he's not able to be there now and get the early start on the workouts and the, you know, the pitchers and catchers throwing and all that kind of stuff. You'd like to get him there as early as possible. Eh, for most guys, yes, but with him, you know, he's been around long enough that I'm not as worried about it. If he wants to show up to camp a week late uh, and it doesn't necessarily upset his teammates so much, I'm not so worried about that. Okay, let me rephrase. It bothers me because at this point I'm not seeing any vines, videos, gifts, anything from from K-Rod. And I need the personal excitement of, you know, the reports from spring training that he's in the best shape of his life, that his changeup looks devastating. I need all of this and I'm not getting that. And it, it upsets me. Well, I think we just need more vines in general. We got to get the beat writers on this. I I think they're very much on it. I think they are all over that, like white. They're, they're all over it because they're all writing the same article. Yes, they are. <laughs> that that Bruce Rondone one was kind of funny. What was I? I think I missed that one. What was the deal with Rondone? 
Well, we saw, you know, I'm sitting there on Saturday morning and I'm seeing, you know, them tweet different things. And then they're all talking about Bruce Rondone being in camp. And then within like a good 15, 20 minutes, I see them all post like basically the same article saying Bruce Rondone is ready to go and is mending fences with his teammates and is, you know, ready to put 2015 behind. <laughs> I was going to say, is he ready to put 2015 behind? Yes, him yet? <laughs> ready. I think that was ex- someone's exact headline. And so. My my article title was Bruce Run. Everyone wrote the same article about Bruce Rondon, and we did too. Well, there you go. Because I guess imitation, sincerest form of flattery, or something along those lines. I mean, this is what are you going to do? I feel for the beat writers right now because there's nothing to write about except the same damn thing that everybody else is. And yet, at the same time, if they weren't out there, we wouldn't be getting these reports and interviews with Shane Green or interviews with Victor Martinez and you know this sort of thing. So it's it's a necessary evil at this point. So. There you have it. The report. As long as they, as long as they don't complain about the weather, I'm fine. They better not. My God. It, yeah, they do. Uh, it's February the 23rd as we're recording this, and I am looking at a weather alert on my phone that says uh, we're going to get between seven to ten inches of snow starting tomorrow into Thursday. Um, yeah, they better not be complaining about Florida weather. It rained here today. I hate you. <laughs> All right, with that, uh, we'll wrap up the rounding the bases segment. And when we come back from the break, we'll go warming in the pen. Tigers have bullpen insurance, maybe. We'll talk about that next. Here's the 2-2. It's in the fly ball, right field. Deep and down the line, and gone! Victor Martinez with a two-run shot. Tigers back on top here in the seventh. They lead it 7-6. And welcome back from the break. We're into the warming in the pen segment. The Tigers apparently are not done making little moves. We thought the offseason was over, and no sooner do they get to spring training and the pitchers and catchers reporting last week that suddenly there's these little bits of news just sort of floating around out there in the atmosphere. Uh, the first thing we got to talk about, Rob, is the fact that they signed Bobby Parnell to a minor league deal. Did not see that coming. I really thought they were kind of done with, with uh, the bullpen. I didn't see it coming, but I'm very happy that they did it. Uh, Parnell is one of the guys that identified in that kind of catch-all article that I wrote, I don't know, a week or two ago, I'd say, about, you know, uh, potential guys that the Tigers could sign before spring training. Um, And Parnell, I was kind of hopeful that he would be able to, you know, that they would be able to get him on the deal that they got him on, you know, a minor league deal with an invite to spring spring training. Um, Parnell was the Mets closer for at least a season or two. Um, back in 2012 and 2013, uh, and he's a guy with a you know high 90s fastball, a pretty pretty nice curveball, and he was working on a little bit of a splitter or something like that at the time too. Um, it put up some excellent numbers before he had Tommy John surgery in 2014, uh, and then his uh, his return last year just didn't go so well. I don't remember a damn thing about him, and probably because he pitched for the Mets in 2012 and 2013, I don't think I was really paying attention to anything the Mets were doing at that point. Because uh, the Tigers were having so much fun, and uh, that's where all of my focus was. So I can't say, as I recall, a whole lot about Bobby Parnell. Now, when you say he throws in the high 90s with that fastball, are we talking 96 or are we talking 99? We're talking like 9900 at times. That's what I wanted to hear. So if he if he gets back to that point, and his velocity did tick upward uh, as the season went on last year, it's kind of one of those things that happens with Tommy John is that you know guys come back and they're not necessarily throwing as hard. And it's almost like when they get to year two, that's kind of when they're healthy. And I think that it just kind of worked out that Parnell hit free agency 
right as he was getting to this point now, uh, kind of year two post Tommy John. Um, so we'll see we'll see what happens with him. But I'm I'm kind of encouraged uh, to see that you know his numbers got or his velocity got a little bit better as the season went on last year, and hopefully his command can improve too. Now, if he had this Tommy John surgery in 2014, I don't know exactly when that happened, but I would assume that at this point he's had almost a full two years to recover, which, as you said, seems to be somewhere in there is that benchmark where pitchers recovering tend to kind of get back get back on track. Uh, your gut feeling on, on Parnell and whether or not he's able to make a contribution, or is he just uh, the guy playing the role of Joel Hanrahan, the guy that they signed on a, on a rehab assignment who we'll never really see? I tweeted it when they signed him. I think he makes the team out of spring training. Really? Yeah, that's my that's kind of my dark horse pick. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, if he's got that, you know, the ability to get the swings and misses with that high nineties fastball, then that's absolutely. I mean, you, you can never have enough power arms out of the pen as long as there's some control to go with it. Well, one um, one post that we wrote this week, I believe it was uh, Patrick O'Kennedy that wrote. Uh, an article, and he kind of looked at some of the statistics behind guys making it back from Tommy John, and I think he said that like 80% or something of pitchers make it back to pitching after Tommy John at this point, and then of those 80%, a good like 67% kind of get back to their prior form. So uh, we'll see what happens with him, but you know, I'm not necessarily too discouraged by the kind of the poor numbers he put up last season. Um, I believe he came back in like June or July and only had a few months to work with. So we'll see what happens. You know, the upshot of this to me is, again, it's all about the context. And I think if this were 2015 or even 2014 and looking at that motley crew of a bullpen we had in those seasons and getting a Bobby Parnell, you know, it's the context of saying, well, now he's got to be a good pitcher because it's a bad bullpen. And yet here we are in 2016 saying it's a pretty good bullpen already. And it it, it feels more like a luxury move at that point. It really is a low risk move because you're not counting on this guy to be the setup man. You're not counting on him to be, you know, the backup closer should the closer fail. He really is somebody that you can just kind of wait and see, take the proverbial flyer on. And if he's any good, then great. That's even more depth, you know, for the bullpen and, if not, then then you know you're not stuck twiddling your thumbs because he was your last and best hope. Exactly, and that's kind of the thing that I was upset about over the last couple of years. You know, they signed guys like Tom Gorzolani and Jobber Chamberlain, and those moves are fine. It's not necessarily you know their fault that they're they're making these moves. I think they're good moves. It's that they didn't have other you know other guys in place to supplement that and make Jobber Chamberlain you know the sixth or seventh guy in the bullpen, not number two. Yeah, and it seems like when we were talking about Tommy John surgery and the return from it, I'm surprised to hear that 80% rate because it seems like with the Tigers, we've just had such bad luck with guys coming back from Tommy John, at least in very, very recent history. Because you think of guys like Jabba Chamberlain that had the Tommy John surgery and then did not perform well for the Tigers. You had guys like Joel Hanrahan, who just never even showed up. And I think he even got you know something like $2 million total over those two years that they signed him. So... Uh, kind of hoping that Bobby Parnell kind of breaks the trend. Really hoping so, and I, I have a good feeling about this one. Let's let's talk about the other odd, out-of-nowhere signing, uh, Casey McGee. What happened there? What is going on? The, another infielder? Another weak-hitting infielder? Uh, we'll see what happens with him. McGee is kind of an interesting guy. He um, had struggled kind of throughout his er- the early part of his career. Uh, went to Japan for a year, I believe it was in 2013, and 
by all accounts, hit the cover off the ball. Uh, I wasn't able to find his stats there, but it seemed like he, he hit really well while he was there. And then comes back and plays for the Marlins in 2014, and he hits almost 300. I think he drove in something like 80 or 85 runs because uh, he was the cleanup hitter behind Giancarlo Stanton. And so hit really well in that role. Uh, didn't hit a lot of home runs, so the 80 home run mark is more like 100 for a guy that hits you know, 20, 25 homers. Uh, so, you know, a pretty impressive season for him. And then I think he came back in 2015 and hit like under 200 the whole year. So we'll see which guy they get, but I'm not necessarily expecting as much out of him. Well, both of these signings, both uh, the Parnell and the McGee signing were minor league deals. Uh, so it's not a guarantee that either of these guys even makes it out of spring training, you know, with the club. Is this really just more of a depth thing? I mean, because I didn't see anything in particular in his stats or in his abilities. He's not like a super utility guy or anything like that. It just kind of you go, okay, what was the point of picking him up when you already had someone like Mike Avilas and it's, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other? I mean, it's a depth signing. If they can get something out of him, great. If, you know, he never sees the majors, that's fine too. I have literally nothing to add to that then. It's, it's really a, a coin flip. If he's good, great. If not, yeah, who cares? Then? Well, if he, even if he is good, he's not going to be, you know, like an all-world hitter. Um, I'm looking at you know, kind of his numbers now. He actually hit 23 home runs uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers in 2010. So he was actually pretty good throughout the early part of his career. Hit, you know, kind of a wall in 2011, 2012, and that's when he went to Japan for a year and then came back with the Marlins. So, you know, maybe there is a little bit more to him than I thought. Um, you know, originally I just thought he was kind of a light-hitting guy who, you know, could hit for a high average if the mood strikes him, uh, but didn't really have much power. But, you know, maybe he rediscovers that power stroke that, he had six or seven years ago, or probably not. In, in either case, I, I feel like, you know, with with any of these signings, it's we should never really complain about depth, because that is something that the Tigers have been so sorely lacking over the years, and that's why you end up with, you know, say the American League Division Series on the line and Hernan Perez is holding the bat. You know, or you have things like last year where it's Josh Wilson holding the bat with the bases loaded. It's, it's so much nicer to be able to say, yeah, these may seem like extraneous and, uh, you know, redundant signings, but I will take the depth all day long over what we've had to deal with in the past. I will too. And, you know, kind of the nice thing is that if one of these guys does surprise during spring training, um, well, I guess it's not really a nice thing, but they will have a, a they will have room on the 40-man roster when that comes around because Brian Holiday will need to be designated for assignment or traded towards the end of spring training. So they won't necessarily have to get rid of another prospect. They won't have to lose a Hernan Perez or a Daniel Fields in order to make room if one of these guys impresses enough during the spring to make the team. Boy, if Brian Holiday is no longer on the team, you really have to wonder what they're going to do as far as, you know, a backup catcher. And it's, I just wish one of our listeners would have asked us that question, but uh, maybe I'll tackle that in a future show. Well, they weren't, weren't too worried about 2016, so. Right. And with that, we will wrap up the warming in the pen segment. Take a quick break. When we come back, we'll go high and tight, talk about those pesky White Sox. That's next. The 3-2, going to fly ball, center field. This one's deep, going back, Borges at the warning track, looking up, and it's gone! A home run! Amazing. How about it? First chance to hit 400, and Miguel Cabrera delivers in his first at-bat of the day. 
All right, let's get into the high and tight segment. Uh, the Tigers, Rob, are not the only ones that have been making moves here, even though the offseason is supposedly over and we're into phase two spring training. Uh, it seems like there's been some things going on all over the AL Central. We'll start with the fact that the Cleveland Indians, we've recently heard, signed both Juan Uribe and Craig Stammen. Tell me what you know about uh, about these situations. Well, we talked about Juan Uribe a little bit last week in that you know he's a corner infielder who used to hit pretty well. Um, is getting up there in years, so isn't necessarily hitting quite as well uh, now. Um, but he, by all accounts, is just kind of a badass and a, a very popular player in the clubhouse. Everyone seems to love him. Um, I believe I googled his name, and one of the articles that came up was "Everyone loves Juan Uribe" or something along those lines. It seems like he's like the Brian Holiday of the National League uh, in in some circles. So, in that he looks good in a bathing suit. Uh, I don't know about that one. We, y'all, you can be the expert on that. I am that not going to Google Juan Uribe bathing suit. There's no way that's going to happen. It sounds like you already did. Yeah, I did. Why? There's there's not enough mind bleach in the world to take care of what I saw. People don't don't repeat that mistake. Anyway, going moving on. on. Um, Craig so <laughs> quick, Craig Stammen. I know a little bit more about Craig Stammen. He um, pitched for the Nationals for the last few years and was kind of more of a like a middle reliever type. Um, I did believe he did a little bit of long relief at one point, and then had pitched pretty well for them uh, in a couple of seasons. I want to say. Uh, you know, from 2012 to 2013, it was really kind of a good pitcher for them. Uh, didn't necessarily see his name as much in 2015. Uh, I didn't look up to see exactly what had happened. Um, but it seems, sounds like he had had off-season surgery, so I think he was injured for most of 2015. Uh, and he won't necessarily be ready for opening day by what I've seen, but we'll, we'll see what happens. It's another little depth signing, and the Indians have a pretty good bullpen kind of shaping up right now, so... If he can provide them a boost at all, they could be they could be tough to beat. Yeah, they already, like you said, had a pretty good bullpen to start with, and their starting rotation is is pretty damn good as it stands as well. As always, the, we've said that the problem with them has been scoring runs. And speaking of being ready for spring training and being able to score runs, the update on Michael Brantley seems to be. I know we were saying before that he might not be back in the lineup until June. It sounds like it's going to happen a little bit sooner than that, even if it's not quite in time for opening day. Yeah, Brantley started taking some light swings last week, um, and it sounds like he's not necessarily on a schedule yet, but it sounds like that he's going to be game-ready a little bit sooner than expected. Um, could be you know, closer to end of April, early May, as opposed to the June date that we that we first heard. So that's a big, big get for them and not so great for the rest of the AL Central. I guess, I mean, assuming that uh, he comes back, ready to play i mean we we've seen that firsthand with you know certain tigers that you know coming off of an off-season surgery and you know there's there's always that possibility of you know oh they rushed him back you know into into service before he was fully rehabbed and ready to go so just the fact that he's coming back sooner than they thought doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be game ready um but even if he is even if brantley is back sooner than expected i'm still not afraid of the cleveland indians like at all i don't i mean I don't know where they're where they're going to get this run production from, but I don't think it's going to be it's going to be hard to come by for them. We'll see. Um, I'm not as sold on them either. I think that they they don't really have much in their lineup behind Brantley. I mean, you have Jason Gibnis, who's you know okay. Carlos Santana, if he has a good year, he could be all right. Um, but other than that, yeah, that lineup is really kind of thin. You're, you're 
betting big on a you know a bounce back season from Mike Napoli. You're hoping that Lonnie Chisenhall can continues his little Alex Gordon impression that he had going throughout the second half last season. Uh, there are a lot of question marks in that order, uh, you know, and bigger ones than will Miguel Cabrera stay healthy. So we'll see what happens with them. I know their pitching is going to keep them in a lot of games, but I don't know if they're going to be able to to kind of churn out runs the way that other teams, other you know, pitching heavy teams like the Royals have done in the last few years. Yeah, you would think with a starting rotation as good as that one is, and I was just looking at the numbers on Fangraphs yesterday and uh, for the 2015 season in the American League on the strikeouts leaderboard for starters, four of their five starters were in the top 15. And you can obviously easily name the, the top three with Trevor Bauer being number four, taking up the rear there at number, uh, he was 14th highest in the American League in strikeouts. But it's a it's a formidable starting rotation. And we talk about them having a good bullpen. And that seems to be, you know, that, that's a pretty good core right there to get your team in a lot of games. I think they're going to have to... Uh, to mimic, you know, what the Royals accomplished with good pitching, good bullpen, they're going to have to really step it up on the defense. And Brantley seems like he'd be kind of a, a big piece of that. Well, Brantley is a big piece of that, but I guess the question that I have right now is, is where is he playing? Is he playing left field like he's done with the past few years? Um, they've gotten rid of Michael Bourne, who was playing center field, and I think that they're, you know, penciled and starter right now is Abraham Almonte. So I'm not really impressed by that. They also have Rajay Davis in the fold. So we'll see what happens with them, but I don't really know if they know who exactly is playing center field. And, you know, while Brantley's good, he's not necessarily a natural center fielder. No, and for that matter, neither is Rajay Davis. He was not super great defensively. So there's there's still a lot of question marks around that Indians lineup, and not only the defense, but, you know, the run production as well. They're just not really that big of a threat to me. The Royals, on the other hand, are coming back as the defending world champions and so forth and keeping a lot of that same core team and hoping for a repeat in 2016. They just recently signed Mike Miner to a deal. And uh, are they really expecting him to be a, a, another starter in their rotation? Or are they going to stuff him into the bullpen? It's possible that they stuff him into the bullpen. Um, you know, they already have, they have like five, six, maybe even seven guys that could potentially could be starters. I mean, you got you have like three guys that are that are definitely penciled in the rotation, and then a bunch of guys in that four or five spot that maybe could spend some time uh, as starters. So we'll see exactly what happens with him. Um, you know, he had some shoulder issues last season. I believe he had shoulder surgery as well that uh, that kind of cut him out for most of last season. So we'll see exactly how he comes back from that. You know, shoulders are a little bit trickier a lot of times, so we'll see. I mean, I, I he got a two-year deal. I don't remember the, the exact number off the top of my head of what it was, but, you know, it's a, it's a nice little deal for them, and I don't necessarily think it breaks the bank like Ian Kennedy's five-year deal. Right. So I think, I think it was a solid move for them, and if he comes back and shows some of the form that he had while he was pitching in Atlanta, it's a pretty good move. I was just sitting here trying to think, can I even name who's in their starting rotation right now because I, I tend to get confused right about this time of year. The same time every year I get confused and can't remember who got traded where and who signed who. But they've still got Jordana Ventura. They yep. picked up Ian Kennedy. They got yep. Chris Young. Yeah. Who comes after that? Danny uh, Duffy still with them? Duffy's with them still. Um, I think so. I don't remember if he's hurt or not. But they also have Edinson Volquez. That's Vol right. Volquez. You know, one of their top guys. Uh, and they also have Chris Medlin, who pitched a little bit for them down the stretch 
last year. And then I think Mike Miner makes number six. And I could be forgetting someone, too. I think Jeremy Guthrie's gone. Jason Vargas, I guess, is still around. I don't know if he's expected to pitch or be in the rotation or yeah. what. I haven't heard anything about him. They've, they've got quite a bit of depth, it sounds like, there, too. And their bullpen is just its endless. So, I mean, yeah, you could see them maybe slotting Mike Miner into as a starter if he works out that way. But you could just as easily see them, you know, turning him into another weapon out of the bullpen. They just they have that ability. Looking forward to 2016, though, really looking forward to the Tigers-Royals matchups and seeing if a healthy Tigers team can put the Kansas City Royals back in their place like they did in 2014. And then finally, it's those pesky White Sox who have just signed Jimmy Rollins, of all people, to a minor league deal. Uh, do you want to scream now or do you want to wait till after the podcast? Well, I screamed pretty much as soon as this happened on Twitter. I was not very happy that, you know, the Tigers are paying $2 million for Mike Avilas and they couldn't get, you know, Rollins to anything more than a minor, anything more than a minor league contract. Sure. Um, you know, Ken Rosenthal reported that Rollins passed up some guaranteed deals as like a utility player, which he would have been for the Tigers to, uh, to, you know, to take a, a minor league deal with a chance at winning the starting job and with, you know, the absolute lack of anyone else to playing shortstop on the White Sox roster, it seems like he will win that job. Um, but I guess at the time, I didn't really realize how bad Jimmy Rollins has been over the last three or four years. Um, you know, looking right now, since 2012, he's only hitting 243 with a 311 on base percentage. And, you know, he, back in the day, he was amazing. You know, he won MVP in, in 2007 and he's been, uh, you know, kind of a gold glove caliber player in, in the right sense of the term. But last four seasons, he's hitting, you know, better than Mike Aviles, but not much. I can only tell you about Jimmy Rollins from what I experienced in 2015 through, you know, playing daily fantasy sports occasionally with FanDuel, which is a, a not a great barometer, I guess, but it's a personal one. And yeah, he, he never did anything for me. He, he subtracted points from my lineup every single time I used him. But just one of those guys you had to throw in at the end when you're reaching the salary cap and you're like, oh, crap, who do I put at shortstop? It's semi-affordable. Not not a good deal. But you're right. He's he, He's got to be a lock to win that position at shortstop because as far as I know, uh, the White Sox are heading into opening day with uh, nothing at shortstop. There's going to be a hole at shortstop. I mean, they have some guys that played, like, second base last year. I think Carlos Sanchez, their, you know, kind of full-time second baseman last year, I guess, is in the mix. There's some other guy that I heard once and forgot his name. You know, I mean, that's basically what we're, what they're looking at right now is you got a bunch of guys that you would go, who's that as their potential shortstop right now? So, you know, even if Rollins only has, you know, kind of an okay spring, I think he's still going to win that job. Yeah, it's the same thing. I, I remember looking at some of the names, like you said, and going, I don't even know who that is. So I'm just going to go with the, the much funnier visual image of them just putting like a laundry basket out there at shortstop and letting that, hoping Todd Frazier can cover a lot of ground. Now it's going to be Jimmy Rollins, of course. But uh, as I said with the Indians, even with the White Sox making little moves like this, they also just don't really strike a whole lot of fear into my heart. No, they don't. Um, you know, that's another lineup that really struggled to score runs last year. Uh, even with some of the thumps that they have in the middle of that order, they had Jose Abreu last year, they had Adam Eaton, they had Melky Cabrera. I think they were, you know, almost dead last in the American League in scoring runs or, or something along those lines. They were just barely better or worse than the Tigers, as far as I can remember. Um, you know, they added a lot of thump in both in both Todd Frazier and, um, oh, I'm forgetting now, Brett Lowry 
their second baseman. But we'll see if that lineup. It seems like that lineup's a little bit too top heavy right now. Uh, and if Melky Cabrera kind of goes into one of his funks like he's prone to do, or if Brett Lowry can't quite put it together, or you know if Jose Abreu hits a disabled list at all, they could be in big trouble. I don't remember exactly where they finished the season, but I know that by like the midway point, they were only averaging something like 2.8 runs per game. It was really abysmal. The Tigers quickly took over that that position after the deadline when they lost everybody. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not a it's not a really high run scoring lineup, and uh, it's going to have to be if they're going to capitalize on the pretty decent rotation and bullpen that they have. So White Sox and Indians kind of in the same camp. Really, the teams to watch are going to be the Tigers and the Royals, I think. I think so, too. Uh, you know, this could be a, even the Twins, who haven't really done much lately, could be kind of jumping into that mix. They have a great farm system. They have, you know, some guys coming back that could be good. Uh, you know, Joe Maurer, we'll see if he kind of gets back to anything close to the form that he showed kind of over the last, you know, decade or so where he's just been amazing. Um, and then, you know, we'll see what happens with Miguel Sano. That guy terrifies me right now. You know, yeah. he hit... Seemed, it seemed like, you know, seven or eight home runs against the Tigers alone last year. So we'll see We'll see what he ends up turning into. And I don't think I witnessed even a single one of those because by that point I was done watching the Tigers. So 2016 will be the year that I first uh, get my first real look at Miguel Sano. And from all accounts, it's, that's going to be a fun show to watch. All right, and that'll do it for our high and tight segment. When we come back, it's our listener questions segment. Into the mob scene at home. Has Brad Osmus learned anything? We'll tell you when we get back. Swing the fly ball, left field, deep, going back, Cabrera, looking up, and it's gone, a home run! James McCann with the walk-off winner! Number three, rounding third, exchanges the low ten with Dave Clark, and into the hot scene. All right, let's get into the mob scene at home. This is the portion of the show where we take questions from our listeners. You can reach us with those questions. You can get us on Facebook, facebook.com slash byb.tigers. You can get us at uh, Twitter, at Bless You Boys, at HookslideBYB, at BYBRob. You can always email us at byb, bybtigers at gmail.com. That is such a hard thing to rattle off for some reason. Bybtigers at gmail.com. Let's just ditch the Gmail. Can we do that? I didn't make it up. It's not my fault. <laughs> it's... All right, then. I don't think we really get a whole lot of interaction question-wise on that account anyway, but... Uh, occasionally. On we go with the show. First question. <laughs> it's a, How do you pronounce these names? Seriously. Mike Nemesi. Mike Nemesi. Question is, how will Anthony Ghost be used? We'll see exactly what happens with Ghost. Um, I believe I saw a quote from Brad Osmus today saying... That, you know, him and Cameron Mabin, their playing time split won't even necessarily be determined during spring training, but just kind of how they play throughout the season. Um, Al Avila was kind of similarly non-committal in an interview with MLB Network recently, uh, you know, saying that it could be, you know, 50-50 or one guy could take a little bit more playing time. So we'll see. Uh, I don't necessarily think that one of Mabin or Ghost will be the, like the, the starter per se. I think it's going to be, you know, kind of a more fluid situation and we'll see what happens throughout the year. Well, I mean, if Brad Osmus knows anything about how to use, you know, the, the platoon advantages there, you would think you would you want to see Anthony Ghost being used, n- never being used against the lefty. On the other hand, you know, you see mostly right-handed pitching anyway, and I think Mabin is maybe slightly better at playing the defensive position. So, 
Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm just speculating. I would imagine it's going to be mostly Mabin. Uh, in fact, in some of the projection models that I've tried to put together, I'm leaning more towards like 60-40 with Mabin getting the slight advantage. But I think Ghost will be used occasionally uh, to give Justin Upton a rest in left field even. So that's that's how I would see it. Uh, it could it, it could be you know we'll see what happens with Upton and JD Martinez and if you know God forbid one of them ends up hurt at all or dinged up throughout the season you know you have a decent guy to put out there in one of those spots to at least cover that ground maybe not necessarily against lefties but they've got the righties on lockdown. All right, Tim Babamute says, "What does Bobby Parnell have to do in spring training to make the club?" I don't necessarily know that it's going to be that much. Uh, you know, we really kind of debated over those six and seven spots in the bullpen over the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, just kind of seeing, you know, who's available, who's going to be there, what exactly happens. And I think if Parnell shows that he's healthy, you know, this is a guy with a much more proven track record than anyone else really fighting for those spots. So if he just shows that he's healthy and the command is kind of returned on his fastball, you know, the Tigers might be willing to give him a shot over one of the younger guys that they can just send in the minors you know, much more readily. Yeah, I would think the only thing he has to do is show that he can, you know, still throw and, and hit the spots that he needs to hit. Because like we were saying, who who are the other two guys fighting for those spots? I mean, you're looking at like maybe a Drew Verhagen or a Bruce Rondon. Well, you know, Bruce Rondon may not even be fully healthy, as we've said in, before, with that virus that he picked up that may cause lingering joint pain. He may not be even a candidate to start the season. Uh, even if he is healthy, he may not be able to outpitch someone like Parnell. So, you know, when you start looking at those names, I would think that Bobby Parnell might even be a slight favorite to, to win one of those spots. It could be. And, you know, one of the things that I kind of just mentioned there about being able to option anyone else to the minor leagues right away, you know, if the Tigers decide to get rid of Parnell and they designate him for assignment or release him or whatever, he's gone. Whereas, you know, if give him a spot, you know, the spot on the 40-man roster that's going to be vacated by Brian Holiday, uh, you can still send all these other guys, you know, packing. And, you know, even if you're not quite sure what Parnell's going to give you at the start of the season, he's still your sixth or seventh guy. So you can kind of use him in, you know, garbage situations where you don't necessarily have to rely on him. And, you know, maybe he kind of comes into form a little bit more throughout the year. Um, you know, it's kind of just more asset management, I guess, at this point, rather than picking the best guy for opening day to be on that roster. You know, if he if you think that he can kind of round into form as the season goes on and, you know, gives you some great innings in September and October, then that that might be worth it. Yes. All this, again, assuming that he's, you know, not awful, uh, not just boring as hell with his pitching and the way that like, say uh, Tom Gorzolani came out of the gate, just not really inspiring anybody with those pitches. If he can do any better than that, I think he makes, he makes the club. Jason on Twitter at Jumpin' Murphy asks, what would you consider to be a breakout season from Nick Castellanos? Um, I guess I would consider a breakout season to be similar to what he hit down the stretch last season. Uh, I can't remember the exact splits off the top of my head, but it was something like 273-2480. Um, you know, and he was, I believe his OPS you know, during those last few months of the year was like 813. I think if he does that, that's a fantastic year for them. You know, if he you know, even improves his defense just slightly, you know, that's like a two, three win player right there. And that's huge for this team, you know, getting him to, you know, at least get him back onto the positive side of the war ledger and anything beyond that, I think would be a great year for him. Well, measuring by the two most important statistics, namely batting average and home runs, and maybe we'll throw RBIs in there just to make it a full triple crown season. 
I would say if he can hit anywhere near 275, 280, if he can hit somewhere between, say, 15 and 20 home runs, it's it's an improvement. I think uh, I don't think this is going to be his – what do you want to call it? I don't think this is going to be his all-star season. It's not his peak, but I think it's going to be better than what we've seen in 2014 and in the first half of 2015. I think he will build on what we saw in the second half last year. But he'll still have some room to grow, I, I think. Well, he could have an absolutely monster year and still not make the all-star team. That's just because you've got guys like Josh Donaldson True. in this league. Um, there's another one. you got Todd Frazier there. There's another one on top of my head that I can't think of. I just had it too. Evan Longoria, guys like that. Um, so you know, And that's really what I, what I didn't mean literal all-star. I just mean having you know an all-star worthy a monster season. I, I'm not sure you're going to get that quite yet. No, I don't think so. But if they can get, you know, some definite improvement, and I think that now at the time it would be nice to see, you know, a little bit more improvement as far as the actual stats go, the war, uh, and some of the other ones. I think that if we can get that out of him in year three, things are definitely moving in the right direction. Wasn't one of his closest comps, I want to say it was Mike Moustakis, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the thing that I kind of found interesting in the baseball prospectus annual. Um, you know, the comps aren't necessarily, you know, that accurate. Um, but they're just kind of interesting to see. And I thought that it was very interesting that all three of those guys in that scenario, I believe the comps were Moustakas, Alex Gordon, and Edwin Encarnacion. All three of those guys struggled quite a bit in their early careers, and all three broke out to be really, really good players later on. Yeah, I think if you can get a Mike Moustakas out of Castellanos over the next year or two, you, it's it's amazing. That would be fantastic. All right, Tim Sergis at Tim Sergis on Twitter says, How confident are you that Brad Osmus has improved enough to be a very good manager for this team? I definitely would not say very good, but I think he could be an average manager for this team. And I think that's a good enough improvement to, you know, at least, at least open some eyes. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not going to go onto the good or very good side of the ledger, but I think we'll see a little bit of improvement out of him this year, too. If the question is, how confident are you that he has improved? Uh, I would say there is absolutely zero reason to suspect that he's improved at all. In fact, I think there's evidence to show that he's exactly the same guy that he was when he managed in 2014 and, and 2015. And I've cited some of that evidence on the show before, just saying things like he intends to use Justin Wilson and Mark Lowe, both of them in setup situations, but he's going to split that based on matchups. And already out of the gate, I think, well, there you go. You've screwed it up already because Justin Wilson's actually better uh, against right-handers than he is against lefties. Uh, you go back to the things that he said on the MLB Network during the winter meetings about how the reason why he had such trouble with the bullpen was because, uh, well, quote, when you don't have guys that you can slot in as the seventh inning or eighth inning or ninth inning guy, then you're trying to mix and match and it's not always going to work out. Well, yeah, not when you're doing it the way you did it. Uh, so just statements like that that make me think, no, he has not really, you know, changed much in the way he processes the strategy or so forth. So, no, I I think he's going to be every bit the manager that we saw in 2014, 2015, and I think it's going to make a difference, and I think we're going to hate it. And I will be happy to be proven wrong, but that's just just calling it like I see it right now. And I'm doing right. it without raising my blood pressure. So. Yeah, we we are getting closer. I think we should move on before you get. I'm getting there. Start, start your head. Turn turn red in the face a little bit. <laughs> Gonna go back to those Juan Uribe pictures to calm down. Jason C Long on Twitter at Jason underscore C underscore Long says, "Is Jared Saltalamacchia the de facto backup first baseman?" Hmm. I don't think so. 
you know, we've seen, you know, similar quotes from like we've seen in the past about Victor Martinez potentially spelling Miguel Cabrera at first base. Uh, I'm not necessarily worried about him playing first base too much. Uh, you know, he's, you know, looked fairly competent there in years past. And I think he has a little bit more playing time there under his belt in salt to Lamakia does. Um, and every time Victor Martinez gets hurt, it's the off season. So, hey, we're in the middle of the season now. We're fine. <laughs> but um, we'll we'll see what happens with that. But I I don't know necessarily know that Salto Lamaki is that that guy. I would like to see Salto Lamakia be kind of you know the the go to bench bat in a lot of situations. You know he's a great hitter from the left side, and if the Tigers need you know anything in that situation with you know the couple of guys that they could pinch hit for, I think he's the guy you go to in those situations. I would agree. I guess I would have thought of Victor Martinez as being the de facto backup first baseman, not, not Salta Lamacchia. I know he's played the position, but you know, as you just said, it's I think Victor Martinez has more experience there. He, he's played it in the past. Um, God, remember that, that game in, I think it was 2013, against the Red Sox when he made that crazy diving move and he flipped the ball behind his back and got the out. I mean, things like that. He's, uh, yeah, but remember that. He's had a couple diving catches, too. You know, he's looked decent there at times. Yeah. Uh, so I would I would think of him as the uh, the backup guy first and foremost. Uh, Jeff Wagelin or Wagelin at J W A E G E L I N on Twitter says, "Do you see Casey McGee getting any playing time in Detroit this year? Could he be a candidate for the twenty fifth man?" I mean, there is you know maybe a situation where he gets called up and you know filling in for someone that gets injured or whatnot. Um, you know, just given the one hundred and sixty two game grind that the season is, I'd imagine that he probably does get called up for some point because someone got hurt um but i don't necessarily know he's going to play a big role on this team you know he's really kind of struggled throughout the last uh you know the last several years other than that one season in miami where he hit well he really hasn't been that great of a hitter uh in recent in recent seasons so i'm not expecting very much out of him i certainly don't see him as the 25th man um especially if he is more of kind of an infield type i think um you take andrew romine over over Casey McGee. Uh, but I mean, will he see any playing time in Detroit? That's two different questions. I, I think he will at some point, uh, even if it's only in September when they expand the roster and do the September call-ups, then you might see him come up depending on where the Tigers are at in that situation, I guess. Of course, I'm predicting that they will have clinched the division by September 1st, so they can just rest all the regulars and bring up all the guys out of Toledo and let them do their thing. Yeah, I think you do see him playing it at some point. Well, Rob, we have to move on to the lightning round because when we posted the the post on Blushy Boys today asking for questions for the podcast, uh, some people got a little bit click happy and posted about 17,000 different questions. And I initially thought, well, screw this. I'm ignoring all of this. But then I thought, you know what? No, these are our dedicated listeners. They invest in the show. Let's just go ahead and take a crack at every single one of these questions, but we're going to do this lightning round style. No explanations necessary, just your gut shot, shoot from the hip. Yes, no, maybe. And away we go. Here we go. First from Jacob Elkram. Does Matt Boyd get any starts this year? Yes. Yes. If we lose Brian Holiday, who is the third catcher? Austin Green, kind of a prospect type guy who apparently is, you know, capable defensively. Cade Civic. Who surprises in spring training and ultimately makes the 25-man roster? Bobby Parnell. Yep, Bobby Parnell. Who will be our best reliever? Well, I hope Francisco Rodriguez. Justin Wilson. Who has the higher ceiling, Drew Verhagen or Montreal Robertson? Drew Verhagen. Easily Drew Verhagen. 
What is Josh Turley's ceiling? Fourth starter, fifth starter, bullpen, or org depth? Fifth starter, not um, bullpen. Bullpen. I'm going to go bullpen. And then we got another slew of questions from iPhones are garbage. So here we go. Take the over or under on Andrew Romine home runs. The number is set at three. Way under. I'm going to go way over. Who has a better chance of throwing a shutout this year, Daniel Norris or Mike Pelfrey? Mike Pelfrey. I would agree. Wow, I thought you were going to go Norris on that one. Over under on games lost by Brad Osmus's decision making. The number is three. Under. Over. We can't. We we can't tell. We have no idea. I can. Who do you guys have winning the AL East? Uh, uh the Yankees. I'm going to go Red Sox. And over under on Hyunsoo Kim's batting average, the number is 278. Under. The hell is Hyunsoo Kim? I think he's that guy that's uh, you know that a lot of people wanted the Korean player that signed with Baltimore that everyone was upset about for a while. We have Justin Upton. Stop complaining. I thought that was Byung Ho Park that people were talking about. No, that's the guy that signed with the Twins. Okay, the answer to this question is I don't even know who the hell that is. So the over under, I under. I guess. My answer is Justin Upton. <laughs> That's right. Answer, stop posting so many questions. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, we, we asked for it. We did ask for questions, and they did, did respond by giving us a crap ton of questions. Can we go back to one? I want to talk a little bit about that Josh Turley question. Okay, go ahead. Because Turley is a guy that, you know, a lot of people are kind of high on. He had a good year last year for Double A Erie, um, but this is a guy with, you know, really kind of below average stuff across the board. Uh, the one reason why I think everyone is interested by him is that he throws a knuckleball. Uh, and not necessarily like in, you know, the typical sense, like he throws it every time he throws a pitch. It's like his secondary pitch. It's like, you know, guys have like a curveball or a changeup. He throws a knuckleball as well. And that's really kind of the only pitch that anyone, you know, in the scouting community has really been impressed by. So I think that if he kind of ditches everything else and goes to the knuckleball, he could be kind of a fifth starter type. Um, but I don't know if it's ever going to work out of the bullpen. So I think it's fifth starter or nothing for him. Hmm. No, that's, I mean, it's a good point. If that's what you have to work with, I, I just don't know if he's got, I mean, I guess you're saying it's his ceiling. What's the, what's the highest he gets? And I find fifth starter, but yeah, I, I just, I guess I don't see him getting even that far. Well, yeah. I mean, he was 13 and eight, 3.29 ERA for Erie last year. <laughs> there it is. Then he'll be the second starter by 2017. I'm just kidding. Please put down the pitchforks. All right. That should wrap it up for the Into the Mob Scene at Home segment. Again, thanks to all those who contributed, especially those who contributed a lot. We appreciate it. We really do. We love the interaction. Uh, you can get a hold of us. Again, leave those questions at the website, mushyboys.com. You can get us on Twitter at hookslidebyb or at bybrob, or the email address is bybtigers at gmail.com. All right, when we get back into the seventh inning kvetch, we're going to talk with a casino odds maker about the Tigers and their odds for 2016 after the break. Three now. Here's the 2-2. Two, two. Oh, boy. Curveball grabbed the outside corner. Victor not happy. Pitch that he felt went around the plate. You rarely see Victor complain. Brad Osmus better get out there quickly. Oh. And Victor got tossed. All right, and welcome back as we wrap up the show with our seventh inning kvetch. Interesting uh, little twist here, Rob. Um, now, full disclosure, we're recording this on February the 23rd, and this uh, interview that I ran with Steve Mickelson, who is the, the uh, sportsbook director for Atlantis Casino, I actually had this interview with him 
oh, I think it was a week and a half ago. So we're going to be running some old tape here. Uh, but very interesting conversation. He was the one who posted the the very first casino, actually, to post over-under win totals for all the Major League teams. He set the Tigers at 85 wins. I was very curious to know why he arrived at that number and not higher. And he was uh, kind enough to connect with me on the phone and have this little conversation. So we're going to go to that now. Roll the tape. All right, Steve, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with us. And uh, first off, I guess probably congratulations are in order after the uh, Super Bowl weekend passed. I know there was a lot of public money coming in on the favorite uh, Carolina Panthers, and uh, the Broncos obviously upset them. So I assume that uh, Atlantis Casino did pretty well on that. Yeah, you know, the, the, the big game is always huge for all the sports books in Nevada. You know, I can tell you all the money until, what, Thursday afternoon that we took, you know, for the first 10, 11 days was all on the Panthers. But that Broncos money did come in late, especially on Sunday. But, uh, you know, it still didn't offset all that Panther money we had taken the first 11 days, you know, leading up to the big game. So it was it was a very good day for us. Now, I was going to say that, you know, this is kind of a nice thing because now you have time off, the Super Bowl is over, you can kind of relax, and then I realized, wait, March Madness is coming up. I mean, do you ever have time to sleep? Uh, you know, it's a lot of fun, though. I mean, if you're a big sports fan, you get this little lull, but I'm a huge baseball fan, so I actually like that little lull after the Super Bowl. One, we come out with our baseball regular season win totals, but then you also have, you know, pitchers and catchers showing up on the 18th, so we have that just right around the the door and then it leads into March Madness and uh, my favorite time of year is always the end of the college basketball tournament and opening day of baseball so that is we're moving towards my favorite time of the year. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're kind of a baseball fan first. That's obviously the the focus of our website blessyboys.com focusing on the Detroit Tigers, you know, specifically. Um Let's let's talk a little bit about uh, just some of your history. How long have you been uh, doing the the odds making there at Atlantis? Uh, I've been with Atlantis for the last seven and a half years. Prior to that, I was at another property for twenty one and a half years. So I've been in the business uh, since spring of nineteen eighty seven. Wow, that's a long time. And have you been kind of focused on baseball for that whole time? Uh, well, no, it's kind of everything, but I can just tell you I am a big sports fan. Uh, you know, I was going to college, it hit spring break, and uh, I thought it would be cool to look at Reno as a place for a job for the summer, you know, getting a job to get paid to watch baseball games. And that summer, a sports book hired me, and I've been here ever since. Wow. Now, as far as, you know, you talked about the fact that you just released the uh, MLB win totals and uh, that Atlantis is taking wagers on that now. And that's, in fact, why we're, we're even having this conversation, because I wrote a post for Bless You Boys a couple of days ago, uh, or just yesterday, based on that information. Uh, you guys are the first ones to, to put out win total wagers. Is that that's correct? That is correct. Uh, I've actually put them out first uh, anywhere in the world in the last 10 years. Wow. Wow. That's kind of a, a point of pride for you then. Uh, yeah, I'm just thankful that, uh, you know, we make enough money every year for my bosses to continue to let me do it. So right. uh, I'm very appreciative of that. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's got to be a little bit, a bit of a risky feeling for you to, to kind of be the first one out there, you know, saying, hey, the, these are the win totals that we think are going to be the most accurate. Yes and no. Um, you know, again, I am a big sports fan. I believe I follow baseball as uh, as close as most of your fans, 
so I, I'm not feeling like I'm stepping that far out on the limb. I also enjoy doing it. You know, I do take a little pride in it. I, I am very comfortable and confident in our numbers. I'm not going to get them all right, but historically speaking, I will get more right than I'm wrong, you know, and, and again, the property has always made money. And, and actually, the part that I find fun is is almost every single year you hit the last weekend of the season, you know, and I'm hanging 30 totals, and I can tell you there was one year with three games to go, there was 12 season totals that were not decided yet, and on the last day of the season, four of them still had action with the last game to play. Wow. So to me, I take pride in the fact that, you know, for the most part, yes, there's some I miss by a lot, but there's a decent amount that I am real close to that exact number. So that raises, I guess, the question is, how, how long does Atlantis leave those numbers up? At what point do you pull those off the books and say, hey, you know, where there's only a week left, you know, we're, we're not taking any more action on those yeah, no, these go up until the first day of the season. Once the first, when when each team's first pitch is thrown in their first game, that's when they come down off the board. We don't readjust going on in the season. We just allow people to bet it until the start of the season. Very interesting. Now, here at Bless You Boys, we, we kind of do something similar before the beginning of the season. As a staff, we kind of get together and make our own, you know, silly, baseless guesswork predictions on, you know, how many wins we think the Tigers are going to have and who's going to win the division titles, who's going to win the championships, who's going to face off in the series, and who's going to win the World Series, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, for us, it's, it's all about bragging rights, just to say, hey, I called it before the season started. Uh, just you know, just from a personal standpoint, how much of this for you is you know personal pride in saying, "Hey, I nailed it, I got it right," versus just I you know I'm making money for for the casino. Um, you know, a big part of it is is uh, you know making money for the casino because I need to be able to make money every year for them to continue to allow me to do this. You know, if I'm losing, they're not going to let me do it. Right. So there there is that part that you know, hey, look. You know, a lot of people can put out win totals, you know, but only in the state of Nevada are you allowed to put it out and back it up with, hey, look, I'm taking bets on it. You don't think I'm right? You know, come on, put money on the other side. So, you know, it's kind of that I have a bit more confidence, I think, than, than a lot of people because I'm willing to risk my job on it and yeah. risk money on it. So, and through the years, I mean, historically, I've been right, you know, way more than I've been wrong. But it's also a lot of fun. You know, I get to sit down and and make lines for a living. You know, I sit down and, and on a daily basis with the baseball lines. You know, I get to handicap all the pitcher matchups for that day, and, and I get to put in my opinion on who I think is going to win that game and, and on that day and which pitcher's thrown well. So, you know, it's not just the season win totals. I'll tell you, I believe I have one of the coolest jobs you could ever have hmm. outside of being an executive or a player, you know, actually on a team. <laughs> you say it's fun. I mean, I, I think it's fun to make those predictions, too. But then again, my job is not writing on whether or not I'm right. And I'll tell you right off the bat that uh, when I predicted last year's World Series matchup, I had the White Sox and the Nationals. Just to tell you how, how wrong I've been in the past on these kind of things. Uh, so let, let, let's get into, you know, what, what goes into your process for setting those numbers, setting the over-under totals on, on wins and things like that. Um, you know, I, I, I have the I've read a lot of books about, you know, the way uh, the, the casinos work. And I know in, in years past, even a decade ago, this used to be a very analog process. 
you know, where odds makers like yourself would would kind of read the headlines, you'd read USA Today, you'd, you know, look at the injury reports and kind of go with a gut feeling. Whereas today in 2016, you, we have so much data available. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of curious, Steve, on a scale of like, say, one to 10, one being totally analog and 10 being, hey, I have 75 databases and six different software programs running. Where would you rate yourself in terms of how you are informing yourself about where to set those totals? Well, one, I think foremost, you have to be a huge baseball fan. I I am to start with, so I love baseball. I, I mean, I watch as many games as I can. I can tell you that year-round I read Roto World, uh, you know, for their baseball, for their football, etc. I'm in a couple of different uh, fantasy leagues, um, not to win it, and people look at me and go, no, you want... I- I'm never in them to win it. I actually want to be in the leagues where I can turn my roster over pretty much every single day because it forces me to look at how the players are doing at that current time, how they're throwing, how they're hitting. So it forces me to look at all the different players pretty much on a daily basis to set my lineups for that day. So I, I, I'm always in those fantasy leagues that allow you unlimited transactions because, again, I'm never in them to win it. I'm in there as a handicapping purpose to help me with my job. You know, I'm a person who, in the past, I have read baseball prospectus cover to cover for enjoyment, not for anything else. And, you know, most people look at it and go, oh, man, it's, you know, it's 800 pages of boring information. <laughs> I actually enjoy it. So, I've, you know, it's just stuff I've been doing for many years. I sit down and, uh, you know, make out the rosters for all the different teams, the starting lineup, what I project it to be, you know, who the infield, outfield backups are going to be. I go, try to go six deep in a rotation. I try to go seven deep in relievers. And I also try to list out the team's top six prospects. So when I'm sitting down and looking at this, I'm looking at the team as a whole, not just a few of the star players or anything like that, because a big part of the numbers that, that I look at are, you know, pitching depth. You know, if you can't go five or six starters deep and be able to compete, so if one of your starters goes down injured, you know, you're bringing up a guy who's not ready to pitch in the major leagues, he should be at AAA, and this guy's got to give you 15, 20 starts, obviously that's going to really hurt your team, where if you happen to be a team that can go six starters deep, you know, you have that ability to sustain the injuries and stay competitive. So, you know, I look at all of this stuff. I cram it for, you know, the Super Bowl ended. I can tell you my Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, this is all I did from the time I got up to the time I went to bed getting ready to release these numbers on Thursday. Hmm. Wow. It's, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, investigation that goes into this, and I'm really curious to know when you when you sat down to go ahead and publish these totals, and it came time to you know you looked at the Detroit Tigers and said, okay, now I need to come up with a reasonable uh, win total for them. Kind of walk me through what was the the process of, of arriving at 85 wins for the season. You know, last year the Tigers really struggled. I mean, their pitching was was terrible. They brought in Simon. You know, they thought Shane Green would step up. They they you know, obviously we all thought the Tigers were the Tigers that we'd seen the last few years, but that just didn't happen. I mean, their pitching staff was horrible. They had injuries. You know, so going into this year, first of all, I can tell you, I don't view the team as a 74-win team. I view the team as closer to a team winning this division, uh, which is why I actually have them second to the Royals. 
but then when you sit and you look at it, you go, okay, Ian Kinsler had a really nice year last year, but is he really going to improve? I like the Justin Upton signing. I, I think he fits well into that team. I, I think they needed a big bat that they got. You know, Miguel Cabrera, is he going to stay healthy or not? You know, I think last year he played about 120 games, but, you know, are we getting to that point where we can only expect 130 games from him, or are we going to get back to where he's playing 150 and he's, you know, one of the top two hitters in all of baseball? J.D. Martinez, to me, is is a very underrated player. I mean, this guy has just been nothing but outstanding for the Tigers since he showed up from Houston. You know, this guy is great in the middle of that lineup. But, you know, Victor Martinez getting up there in age. Again, injuries have set him back. How healthy is he going to be this year? Nick Castellanos, you look at him. You keep expecting more from him. I like the kid. You know, he's got – and he's still young. But, you know, he's played two full seasons now, and he's still – He's shown times where he looks really good, but he still just hasn't developed into that player the Tigers have hoped. You know, you get down to James McCann, a catcher. I love this guy. I think he's going to end up being a captain of this team. I think he's a take-charge catcher. You know, I like Iglesias. I I have some questions on center field. You know, are they going to go off the platoon with Ghost and and Maven? Is Anthony Ghost going to ever figure out how to hit a lefty? (laughs) But I love his defense. You know, so... These are things I look at in the lineup, and, and then again, I love the Jordan Zimmerman signing. You know, Verlander, he's not the pitcher that was the Cy Young every year, but last year he proved he's still a pretty good pitcher. I'm a big fan of Daniel Norris. I, I liked that pickup, but, you know, I'm not sold with that end. You know, Mike Palfrey, he's a decent guy, but, you know, last year with the Twins, and they had a good year. He was in a big ballpark. You know, 6-11, his, his whip was close to 1.5, which to me is too high to have for a starting pitcher that you're looking to get 30 starts out of. And, and Shane Green, I thought he would be a lot better last year. He started off the season, I think, his first two or three starts. He was very good, but then he just never seemed to get it going. I'm glad the Tigers addressed the bullpen. You know, Justin Wilson, Alex Wilson, brought in Mark Lowe, Francisco Rodriguez to close. I just, to me, there's too many questions, and it's hard for me to go above that 85 wins when I have these questions. Because if Cabrera goes down again, it really sets this lineup back. And if and if Verlander's like he was, you know, just a year and a half ago, where he's not throwing strikes and he's struggling to, you know, not get hit, and Anibal Sanchez continues to give up the home runs like he did this last year, you know, this team's not going to go very far. No, I mean, those are all valid concerns. Obviously, the the health of the roster in general is going to be a major factor. And, you know, you certainly have uh, several members of this team that have shown that they've they've struggled with injuries over the last couple of years. Miguel Cabrera has not been healthy for at least two years. He's been coming off of off-season injuries and surgeries and rehabbing and missing most of his power. Of course, you had Victor Martinez dealing with that same thing at least last year. Justin Verlander has had the last couple of years, I think, kind of struggled with injuries and rehabs. Uh, but that's always kind of going to be the case, I think, for any baseball team is, you know, whether whether they can stay healthy. Um, I, I'm just wondering, I made the speculation in the post that I wrote that a lot of this, uh, these numbers, these totals and, the, and the, the payout odds that you're assigning to them have to do with the public perception. Now, is that, am I accurate in saying that? Or is that really just really more of your gut feeling? You don't care what the public thinks. Well, no, there is that public perception. I mean, you know, if first of all, understand that I'm hanging a line and really I'm trying to get action on both sides. I'm not looking to get 
just over money or just under money, I need to draw action on both sides. I'm very aware that pretty much every division winner is going to win 93 or so games, and I only have one team at 90 wins. So when you look at it without understanding what we do, you look at it and you would say, oh, wow, this just doesn't make sense. But understand that, you know, for instance, the Cubs at, at 89 wins, everyone's in on the Cubs. Everyone thinks they're going to win 100 games. But understand that if injuries happen, if the team doesn't just, you know, you brought in some new players and you just don't gel. I mean, last year at this time we were talking about the Nationals being the best team in baseball, and they had the highest win total, but obviously they underperformed. I, I mean, they won 83 games last year. So you can't hang a number based on if everything goes right, this is what they'll win. You have to take into consideration, look, some things might go wrong here, some injuries might happen. What is the public's perception on this team? How good do they think they are? And how realistic is that public's expectations? And the difference for me is I try to, and I have confidence in my ability to believe what I think the team really should perform versus what the, the public may or may not think how that team will perform. Which makes a lot of sense in that, you know, it sounds like you're, you're looking for a kind of a happy medium. If you, if you think the Tigers are capable of 90 wins, you know, best case scenario, and then maybe 78 wins, worst case scenario, it makes sense why you would want to set it somewhere in the middle and say 85, just because, like you said, you want to attract action on both sides of that. Uh, I was I was fascinated, though, by the fact that the way you set the uh, the payout odds, I think it was uh, a negative 105 for the over, uh, which which would indicate to me that you're kind of leaning more towards the under. No, 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 no. That price there is what I think the public will bet. Ah, okay. I, I, I And I will tell you, the Tigers are down now. 283 and a half. So when I hung that number, I think they're 85. I think they could easily win this division. But my belief is, is the perception from the public is they're not going to get to 85. So I hung juice with the under, anticipating the public initially betting the Tigers under uh-huh. because they only had 74 wins, and they're not looking at the big picture. They're just looking at it going, oh, look, man, they're saying they're going to win 11 more games than they did last year. They're terrible. They're not going to. So that price is based on the perception, and I can tell you the first bet we took on the Tigers wasn't under. No kidding. And it, yeah. I, if I just heard you correctly, you said you've already moved that line down to 83.5 wins. Correct. We are down to 83.5 because the public, to this point, has been betting the Tigers under. No kidding. That's very interesting to me. What is, if you don't mind me telling, uh, telling me, what, what's the, uh, the payout right now on the over-under for 83.5? Uh, it's at flat, 11 to win 10 on either side. Okay, okay. So you're kind of expecting even action on, on either side of that. Uh, actually, I think it's going to go back up. I think 83.5 is too low, but... That's my opinion versus what the public's going to say. So right now I'm leaving it at flat to see what the public tells me. Do they think it should be lower than 83 and a half, or do they think it should be up, you know, at 84, 84 and a half? Okay, okay, that makes sense. Uh, I wanted to kind of delve a little deeper. One of the you know theories that I was advancing in the article that I wrote is just that in terms of the off season, and we were just talking about how public perception plays so much into where you set those lines and 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 the prices on those uh, totals. 
it, it seems to me that the offseason for the Tigers was very, very much under the radar. You know, the, the Boston Red Sox went and made a splash and got David Price and Craig Kimbrell. The Giants went out and got Johnny Cueto and Jeff Samarja. There were some big moves. The Cubs got Hayward. You know, the Tigers, it seems like they made some moves, in my opinion, that made them a very, very much stronger team than last year. But those moves were very... Uh, they weren't the type of moves that would make the USA Today sports section. Uh, how much does that play into you know influencing the public perception? Well, I, I think it plays into every bit of it. I, I agree with you. I love the Tigers' moves. I, I think they, they uh, you know, when they let Dombrowski go, there was a lot of speculation the Tigers are going into rebuild mode. They brought in Avila. Hey, look, Tigers are going to build for the future. The door is closed. The window of opportunity is over. Let's go. And and everything they did this winter tells me, you know, the Tigers are pushing their chips all in the middle of the table. Hey, look, we're in this. We believe we are as good as anybody out there. We've made the trades. We've made the moves. And uh, they're doing it. You know, the first thing they addressed was their pitching. I mean, they bring in Jordan Zimmerman, and they shore up that bullpen. You know, to me, that bullpen is what it cost them, you know, world championship a couple of times because that bullpen was just so bad it was nice, in my opinion, to see that they actually addressed it. Yeah, K-Rod may not be the greatest closer out there, you know, but he's learning how to pitch now that he's getting up in age. But he's better than what you've had, and, and I like Justin Wilson. Alex Wilson's throwing the ball really well. Mark Lowe, you know, this guy can go out and throw every day if he has to. So I love the way they address their team. And as a setting these totals, Again, this is one of those teams that my perceptions, they're a lot better than what the public's going to be. I think if I'm the Tigers, I like the idea of flying a little bit under the radar versus, say, the White Sox, who made a big, bigger splash the last two years. But you know what? It, I'm not convinced it's really going to turn into wins for this team. You know, we saw it last year. They just weren't, again, a very good team. I mean, they only won 76 games, and at the offset, you know, the of the winter, people would have thought they won it. So to me, I, I like the idea the Tigers addressed their needs, did what they believe they need to do to get better versus worrying about what the public thinks. And I see you've got here, you, you set the initially set the Kansas City Royals at 87 wins, and that's, I think, the, the next highest in, in terms of the AL Central. The Royals at 87 wins and the Tigers initially at 85 wins. I'm curious to get your, your quick opinion on the Kansas City Royals, the things they've done in the offseason. Do you really think they can come back and repeat and take the division? To me, for that division, and again, I could see the Indians winning it, I could see the Tigers winning it, but for me, right now, the Royals are the best team in the division for a 25-man roster with the least amount of questions. You know, you sit and you look at it, you don't have the health issues of a Miguel Cabrera and a Victor Martinez. You're not worried about, you know, how is Todd Frazier actually going to hit in Chicago? You know, is Brett Lowry ever going to live up to his form? Is Adam LaRoche, I mean, he was horrible last year. Can he rebound? You just look at that lineup. They play great defense. They move runners. You know, you know what you're getting with Escobar, Kane, Hosmer, you know, Moustakas, Salvador Perez, Alex Gordon, they brought him back. And the rotation is nothing great, but, but they go six deep. I mean, Volquez, Ventura, Ian Kennedy, again, not great, but he can give you six innings. Danny Duffy, Chris Young, Medlin, 
and you got to love the bullpen. I mean, they have won it last year and went to the World Series the year before because of their bullpen, because they shrink the game to six innings. They allow their bullpen to take it over. The pitchers know, look, I don't have to go seven, eight innings. It's not Justin Verlander in the ninth because I have no bullpen, and if we're going to win, I'm still the best pitcher tired than anyone we got in the pen. So for me, the Royals were the best team right now with the least amount of question marks. You know, but a couple of injuries can derail that team too. Yeah, it's kind of an open question because we know Alex Gordon went down, you know, for a bit last year. That didn't seem to impact them too heavily, um, and I'm sure he'll be fine this year. But you always kind of have that question mark. And then in terms of that amazing bullpen that you talked about, they they lose Greg Holland uh, for the year and end up kind of replacing him with Joaquin Soria. Is that bullpen really as as devastating as it has been in years past? I, I still think it is. I mean, Luke Hoshaver. You roll back a couple of years ago, this guy was lights out. He got hurt. You know, he came back last year. I think he threw 56 innings, so he he should be back this year. Soria doesn't have to close. I, I'm not a big Soria fan. I thought, you know, pretty much once he left the Royals, you know, his stuff had really diminished. But Kelvin Herrera can bring it. Wade Davis is as good of a closer as there is in this game. So, you know, you sit and you look at it, they're four – Tim Collins are four or five deep. They all throw mid-90s. They all throw hard. And and uh, it's not the same as with Greg Holland, but you know what? It's still a pretty darn good bullpen. <laughs> it really is. And, I, and I've made statements on this podcast before that I think uh, the Tigers have always kind of been the Royals' biggest um, – the, the team most likely to give them a challenge in the AL Central, and of course with the Tigers taking a tank last year because of all the injuries, the Royals really didn't have a whole lot of competition in the Central. Uh, just you know, feeling like 2016, if the Tigers are going to be healthy, uh, this could be kind of a dogfight between those two teams. Uh, yeah, a, a team I still really like that I put on the outside. If they could ever figure out how to score runs. I love the Indians' rotation. When you sit and you look at you know yeah. Kluber and Danny Salazar and Carlos Carrasco, those guys can match up with anyone. If Trevor Bauer could ever get his head on straight and just pitch versus, you know, be doing whatever he does, you know, Cody Anderson's a pretty good fifth guy. Josh Tomlin can step in. I love the Indians' rotation. It's just, you know, Brantley's out for the first month or two. You know, Raji Davis is really getting old. He can still hit lefties, but he's getting old. You know, Jan Gomes, Carlos Santana hasn't hit since – you know, if you think about it, back when he was a catcher, they moved him to third. He didn't do much. First, he didn't do much. Now he's a DH. Mike Napoli, you know. There's so many questions in that Indians lineup, but their pitching to me can keep them close if they can find a way to score runs. Mm, yep, that's a very good point. It's uh, The Indians, it seems like, have always been that, that team that everyone's talked about for the last couple of years. No, this is the year they're going to break out. No, this is the year they're going to break out, and they can't seem to bridge that gap between that awesome starting rotation and, uh, you know, we'll just say it this way, that they had the, the biggest discrepancy between their FIP and their ERA, which would indicate something to do with the defense. I'm not really sure, but you're right. If that rotation can ever uh, capitalize on how good they are, they're going to be a serious threat. Uh, Steve, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we said we try to limit this to about a, a half hour. I'm, I'm just curious to wrap this up. Um, has Atlantis set any uh, odds on the World Series yet? Oh, yes. We, we've had those up for quite a while. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, I can tell you that I did open the Giants as a favorite even before, you know, I came out with my season win totals. And, and, and that's really because I believe the Giants on paper have the best 25-man, you know, roster 
with the least amount of questions. If Matt Kane can come back and be anything close to, you know, what he has been in the past, you know, you had that PV at five with, you know, they brought in Samarja, Cueto to go with Madison Bumgarner. And there's not a whole lot of questions with that lineup. I mean, you got Buster Posey. You know what you're getting with Joe Panic. I like Denard Spann coming in, taking the pressure off Pagan in that leadoff spot, allows you to move Pagan over to left field. I just think the Giants top to bottom. And, again, injuries always play a role. But I think they have the best 25-man roster. And their rotation is, you know, not the best in major leagues. They don't quite match up with the Mets of the world. But you know what? It's still pretty good. Any concerns about Johnny Cueto staying healthy or maybe uh, dropping out halfway through because of some shoulder or elbow problems? You know, there's always the questions with Cueto. The thing that irritated me with Cueto last year, and, and he's always been one of my favorite pitchers, but it sure seemed to me that once he went over to the American League, it turned into he was more concerned with trying to throw off the hitter's timing and and being deceptive with his pitches that he quit just understanding that he's got pretty good stuff. Hmm. You know, challenge the hitters for a little bit. Don't try to trick them. And uh, to me, that was where I felt he had the problem. I'm hoping he goes back to the way he was with the Reds and understand, look, you got front of the rotation stuff. Trust it a little bit. Yes, it's fine to every once in a while, you know, get a little quirky with your motion in order to, offset the hitter's timing a little bit, but don't make that your main focus. And, and that's what irritated with me. And if he does that with the Giants, I think he's in trouble. And just out of curiosity, you said you've already set the, the World Series odds. Where did you end up yes. setting the Tigers? The Tigers are 20-1 to 1 to win it all. Okay, 20-1. to 1. Has that line moved at all since you opened it? Uh, let me... I guess that the question that I'm really asking there is, does the public give a damn about the Tigers at this point? Is anyone betting uh, on them? They have not moved at all. Yeah, and, and we do have bets on them, but they have not. I opened them at 20 to 1, and they are still at 20 to 1. Very interesting. All right, two, two final questions here before we hang up. Uh, first one more specific. I, I know the, the Kansas City Royals, I think, in a lot of sports books, opened somewhere around 30 to 35 to 1 last year and obviously went on to win it all. And there were some stories of some betters that had just made a fortune off of taking the early odds on the Royals. Uh, did you guys get pretty beat up on the Royals last year? And uh, as a follow-up, what's what's kind of the worst World Series beating you've ever taken? Uh, no, we did not get beat up on the Royals. I can tell you that I was high on the Royals the last couple of years. Um, my season win totals were definitely higher than other places because – to me, the Royals don't get the respect. And, again, I believe in the Sabre metrics, but I believe there's an eye test to it that you also have to look at. And I just don't think the Royals match up in that Sabre metric. So the Royals are one of the teams that I stayed high on. Um, and in the past, you know, whenever the Giants go on and win the World Series, those are never good for us because the Giants are such a public team that – Everybody bets them regardless of the odds that you put out there. So for us, whenever the Giants win a World Series, that's usually not good for at least northern Nevada. Okay. And does that answer the question of what's what's the worst, uh, the hardest you've been taking on a World Series? I would tell you uh, any of those three times that the Giants won the World Series in the last five years. <laughs> so they're annoying you as well as us. because Absolutely <laughs> am, yes. Oh boy! There, I mean, I'm. 
I, I don't want to uh, tax your memory here, but I know with uh, 2012, you know, I'm sure the Tigers were were huge favorites to win that World Series and ended up getting swept. You know, which will forever live in our memories as Tiger fans as just an awful, awful World Series. But uh, I was going to say, you know, the part that, and again, yes, I was pulling for the the part that got me is I kept watching these giant relievers, you know, throwing the slider out of the strike zone. Coming out of the hand, you knew it wasn't going to be a strike. And I kept watching the Tigers swing. It was that, leave the bat on your shoulder, make them throw you a strike first. And I could never understand why in that entire World Series, they'd just go up and they'd swing at that pitch and be foot off the ground, two feet outside. And you just watched it, hitter after hitter. So that's my recollection of that World Series. <laughs> I tell you, I don't remember a whole lot about it because I have deliberately blocked as much of it from memory <laughs> as I possibly could. So all I know is that Miguel Cabrera stood there and took a third strike, and that ended it. And it's uh, everything gets kind of black after that for me, memory-wise. <laughs> so. Uh, Steve, this has been a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. There's so many more questions I would love to ask you of just about regular season games and how you go about the daily process of setting uh, the money lines and, and things like that. Uh, maybe uh, you know, maybe you'll be willing to touch base with us again and let's say uh, trade deadline time, and maybe we I, can talk again. I am available. I love doing this. I love talking baseball, so I'm available uh, pretty much any time you need. So just let me know and. Uh, I'm good to go. Sounds great, Steve. Thanks for stopping in, and uh, good luck on March Madness. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. We'll see you. And there you have it. Thanks to Steve for taking the time to have that conversation. Always very interesting to, uh, well, as I said, even to him in the interview, to talk to somebody who not only you know makes these predictions and projections, but you know, to have his job kind of writing on the line. It's a, little, a fair bit higher stakes, Rob, than when you and I decide to go ahead and set over-unders like that. A little bit higher stakes, yeah. Just slightly. I mean, I don't have any money riding on it when I say the Chicago White Sox are going to win the World Series, so I get to be kind of an idiot like that. Uh, yeah, It's fun that way, though. <laughs> right? Uh, I thought it was interesting, too, that, that he picked the San Francisco Giants as the World Series favorite. I, I know they're favored right now in a lot of the different sports books, but he actually seemed to have reasons for it. And I just, uh, you know, when I talk about who's going to win the AL East and who's going to square off in the World Series. I, I realized today, how cool would it be if the Tigers ended up squaring up against the Boston Red Sox for the championship series and getting some revenge for the 2013 fiasco and then matching up against the Giants in the World Series and getting revenge for 2012. I mean, that would be perfect. I don't care if they play a team from Mars in the World Series as long as they win it. <laughs> but well, I will say that, I will say, kind of backing up, the Giants are my pick. For the World Series winner as well. Really? Yes. It's an even year. Well, just because of that, right? I mean, pretty much. Although I like the moves they made this offseason, but mostly because it's an even year. Yeah, they did make some decent moves, I thought, and I had completely forgotten. And the whole, you know, craziness of them being the ones to sign Johnny Cueto and kind of, you know, like, wow, I didn't think they'd be the ones doing that. I completely forgot they still have Madison Bumgarner. So that's that's a pretty dynamic one-two punch. And they have Jeff Samarja as their number three, too. So Yeah, still not sure him. about Samarja. Yeah, but you get him out of Chicago where he's pitching in a ballpark as big as my bedroom, and he might <laughs> do something there. Well, we, we shall see. I'm really kind of hoping for the Tigers-Giants rematch. But you're right. They could play the World Series on Mars, and to hear some people talk and their predict predictions about the Tigers, uh, Mars may be the, the next place the Tigers do win the World Series because it certainly is not going to happen here on planet Earth. Hey, Matt Damon made it back. Well, there is that. <laughs> okay. 
it is just about time to wrap things up here on the voice of the turtle rob did we miss anything I mean, I made a reference to the Martian, so I think we're good. You better go out on top because that's you're not gonna you're not gonna top that. Do you give uh, odds for uh, Matt Damon or the Martian winning any awards? Uh, I I have no idea who he's even up against. So, did you no, watch I, any movies this year outside did, of the Martian? I, I did watch the movies. I just haven't seen the like the nominations uh, or anything. Well, maybe we can talk about that next week because I don't think there's going to be baseball to talk about just yet. We've still got two weeks out i think before the first is it two weeks no it's a week from today it is a week from today that the first actual spring training game gets played so still too long (laughs) so when we do this show next week we're going to talk about how the game against the uh, pittsburgh pirates went all right now i'm excited we get to crash florida southern's website too the little yearly tradition at byb i've never done that Really? What's this all about? We crashed well, their website? Well, we, I mean, we post the link to their website in the in the game thread because it's like their game cast or whatever. And every year, without fail, crashes the website. You mean you can stream the game, like, visually? No, not visually. Just, like, the little game cast thing where it says, like, oh, in okay. eight runs. Got it. Got it. Okay. I'd say. Crap. I thought I was going to get to actually watch a game on Monday. Oh, well. Why don't they... Well, the, here's my question. Why don't they, like, just set up a camera behind home plate? Put it there... And just let us watch what happens. You don't have to move it. You don't have to do anything. You could just have it sitting there. I mean, that's what they do for the minor league teams, right? If you buy yeah. one of the uh, uh, MILB TV subscriptions, you can watch the Whitecaps, and they just use. I the... don't need. I don't need HD. I don't need twelve thousand camera angles. No. I just want to see what happens. Yeah, when I watch the minor league games, it's just a stationary camera in center field. You don't get any of the you know cool changing angles, and it's it's fine. I'll... Especially since they already have the equipment down there. Exactly. Turn it on. I'll take it. And there's, I know some of the games are going to be on Fox Sports Detroit, but that's, I think, like one a week, except for that. There's like one week in there where there's three games, like Tuesday, Thursday, Friday or something. So. They always tend to like ramp up right before the season. So it's like you get like one in the first three weeks and then the last week is all televised. How did we not talk about this? I just remember. Did you see that uh, that little piece that went out saying that Dan Dickerson and I think I think it's Mario and Pemba are going to switch places? Yeah. For like, I don't know, 10, 10 that games? Came out, that came out like literally right after we talked to Dan Dickerson. Yes. I want to say maybe a couple hours after. Yes. And he didn't even tell us about it. He didn't mention it. Bum. I know. But how cool is that? Dan Dickerson on the Fox Sports Detroit broadcast? Sweet. I mean, him, him and Kurt Gibson. Wow. That'd be fun. I'm kind of drooling a little bit. I really want Can we put Rod Allen and Jim Price in the same booth? <laughs> how awesome would that be? That would be a train wreck that you would have to watch. And if it was on the radio, you you wouldn't know what was happening. You'd think it was just like a you know a random show. Oh, there's a baseball game happening. That's cool. <laughs> It'd be like that time last year, I think it was, or the year before, when uh, they were doing the spring training broadcast on the radio, and Dan Dickerson had to leave early because he had to fly back to Michigan for some function or whatever. But he left Jim Price by himself in the booth for like I don't know the sixth inning on. So Jim was calling the game by himself. It was epic i should see if i could dig up an audio archive it was yes can we do that that was great (laughs) that should be a in for every segment now yes all right remember we are only one half of the conversation you're the other half so leave your comments for us at the website at blessyouboys.com also find us on twitter i am at hookslide byb and rob is at byb rob of course you can always send us that email at bybtigers at gmail.com 
So on behalf of Robert Jackie and people having visa problems everywhere, this is Hookslide reminding you that spring training is meaningless baseball, but it's still better than no baseball. We'll see you next time on The Voice of the Turtles. <laughs>